The failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Off. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 2, The Manifesto. I'm Ian Collins and it's a, well, zero festive welcome, frankly, to our determined journey to leave no stone unturned on the environmental agenda. If it's green, it's on. And we often make the point that politicians should be made to sit down and listen to this on a weekly basis. These are the very issues that are most important on the planet right now. Climate change. Our Westminster masters often appear to miss this very point. The person who's centre to this entire series is, of course, Dale Vince, the accidental businessman, entrepreneur and environmentalist. This is a man who doesn't do things by halves. He built his first windmill back in the mid-90s, and he's the owner of Ecotricity, the world's first green energy company. He also happens to be the chairman of Forest Green Rollers. Uh, morning to you, Dell. Was that a bit Scrooge-like when I said it's a non-festive welcome? Uh, no, that was all right. I, I, I didn't even notice, actually. <laughs> I told yeah. you where I'm coming from. It was all normal well, to me. I, I was thinking of, you know, do, do we add some sort of uh, jingle bells and, you know, reindeer sound effects on this? And I, I looked at the agenda and I thought, well, probably not really, because we, we, we can't shy away from certain levels of grimness that have, appear across our desk on these issues on a weekly basis. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe it's nice to create a nice, safe Christmas free space for people. You know, yeah. listen to this podcast. You won't have fucking jingle bells and, uh, you know, all the other kind of trimmings of Christmas yeah. Um kind of oppressing you i would say because that's how i feel by it uh you should, know, we, should we just have one should we have one set of bells and get it over with do you have to there it is it was oh. that, that you'll never hear it again <laughs> done yeah christmas i mean it's overdone isn't it that's a problem with christmas as far as i can see to me it is oppressive you know so all the expectation of what you should do and where you should go and when you should do it and all that kind of stuff and Oh, you know, yeah, Christmas. Yeah, what a miserable pair of bastards we are. Oh, I'm a happy, I'm a happy person, but I don't like having Christmas <laughs> imposed on me. You know, as a kid, I used to think, look, you know, I love Christmas, but why can't people be nice to each other all year long? Yeah, it shouldn't be this like three day window where you can, but now you can be merry and decent uh, the rest of the time, be an ass. Yeah. Um, but this story uh, has, you know, it's, it's an incredibly sad story to, to start with, but there is a. You know, the only thing you can hope out of chronic negative is something positive. And, and this, this is the story, the coroner uh, that's made legal history by ruling that air pollution was the cause of the death of a nine year old girl. Um, and this was a, a mother who's been trying for the last seven years to get this recognized. Dale. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a very, uh, very impressive achievement, as you say, uh, coming out of something bad. Little girl called Ella had chronic asthma. I think she was in the hospital. Uh, 30 times in in three years and it's been a real battle to to establish air pollution as a as a you know a, a cause in a death and mm. I, I do find that surprising because you know our own government uh, publishes statistics that show that 40,000 people every year in our country die prematurely from airborne pollution um, and yet nobody up until now 
has had that as a cause of death on their death certificate. That is a kind of a very strange disconnect, mm. I would say. Uh, but that's been put right now, and, and hopefully it will lead to some further action because the air pollution levels uh, where they lived, that family, uh, you know, were in breach of legal limits, as much of London is, and, and many of our cities are in breach yeah. of legal limits, and yet the government continues to do nothing about it. It's interesting this, that the uh, we talked about this on the radio in the week, and you know, I, I made the point, which I think is a reasonable one, that you haven't actually got to know a lot about the environment. You haven't got to know a lot about pollution. Uh, you haven't got to be even be on board with all environmental uh, arguments and discussions, the kind of stuff we discuss here, to realise uh, that if you live right next to a very busy road where you've got 40,000 trucks and cars going past on a daily basis and you're a young kid in close proximity to that on the school run, whenever you go in your garden, any moment of the day, then that's going to have some kind of effect on your health. Well, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, I... I I suffer from the the you know the pollution that comes out the back end of cars you know that just the smell of it since I was a kid I I would hold my breath around it because you know just it just feels wrong to be breathing that stuff in and I remember you know maybe 20 years ago uh, going to London a very rare thing for me from from the sticks and coming back out with like black bogies you know and and <laughs> just thinking my god you know the air in London is absolutely vile yeah, I mean, you wouldn't stick your lips around an exhaust pipe, would you? I mean, that, that, that's essentially what everybody is doing when they're walking, you know, amongst traffic and cycling behind it or whatever. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have to be a half-wit not to see that that would cause some kind of damage. It's, it's part of the madness of modern life. The rate at which we're burning fossil fuels is kind of off the charts, and we seem to have this uh, belief or... Or, or maybe we don't really think about it, that the uh, atmosphere is kind of infinite. And when we chuck pollution into it, it just disappears somewhere. It yeah, doesn't. Yeah. It, it goes around the world, you know, and it comes back to us. And in some cases, obviously, in cities, it doesn't go anywhere. It just, like, you know, stays at street level. Um, yeah. But, you know, since I was a kid, I had the same same thoughts. You know, what, what are we doing chucking all this stuff into the, into the air and thinking it goes away? Yeah, there's a magic toxin box that sits at the side of every road and it's it gets madness. neatly packed away at the end of the day and thrown somewhere. I think what's happened is in the last 10 or 20 years, we've started to bump into the limits of everything. And so that magical thinking has been kind of, you know, uh, disabused. You know, we we talked about peak oil, you know, in the last 20 years, for example. Mm. And, you know, we can we can see peak copper and, you know, I think maybe one day peak oxygen. But we can also see the uh, the limits of the environment to absorb the impacts that we're putting sure. on it. And of course, climate change is is the biggest example of that. You know, we're absolutely changing the climate of the planet. Yeah, spot on. Uh, here's a question from Chris on Twitter. Uh, what does Christmas look like for you, Dale? Do you have a... What, Chris, go away. <laughs> What's I'm going happy to on talk about it. I don't mind. Listen, Christmas every year... Uh, don't make us play the bells again. No, don't do the bells. You know you know what it's like after Christmas? Uh, everybody says to everybody, oh, how was your Christmas? How was your Christmas? It's like, you know, it's what you get asked a dozen times, first day back to work or something. And the comment I always reply with, which I don't think about, it's, it's genuine uh, from me, is, oh, you know, I survived it. And, and that's how I feel about Christmas. I just survived it. Yeah, that's fair enough. I guess it's reasonable to ask then, as a lifelong vegan, uh, what do you have for Christmas dinner? Uh, yeah, well, you know, usually it's like a roast dinner with, I mean, way too much food, all kinds of vegetables, just a mountain of those some kind of vegan gravy, obviously, and probably some kind of nut roast or something like that. So it's like a Christmas dinner, but just without the, the murder in the middle of the plate. 
<laughs> no punches pulled here today. <laughs> not messing around on this one, are you? Now, no. <laughs> uh, le- <laughs> let's turn to this uh, world leaders uh, under the spotlight again. The UN Secretary General has called on all countries to declare a climate emergency or face catastrophic results. Um, it, it it shouldn't be. It, I mean, it has to be reiterated, doesn't it? It seems every couple of months, dozens of world leaders spoke at the virtual climate ambition summit on Saturday. Uh, some of the smallest nations worst hit by climate to the world's worst polluters. But the headline comes out the same. More needs to be done. Uh, we need to declare the emergency. Yeah, and um, you're right. It seems to be something that shouldn't need to be repeated, but it is repeatedly repeated. Um, you know, we're in that final decade, according to the UN and according to climate science, when we have our last chance to avoid the worst impacts of climate change, you know, the, the temperature of the earth exceeding two degrees uh, you know, which is thought to be the upper threshold of, uh, you know, uh, disaster. And yet we have to keep reminding ourselves and saying, you know, what we need to do more, we need to do more. But it's sadly just the world we live in, isn't it? You know, our own government brought out the 10 pointless plan a couple of weeks ago and then got about business as usual, spending billions on bad things, you know, roads. Uh, the uh, third runway for Heathrow decision was overturned in the Supreme Court this week. Yeah, um, I don't know if you saw that, but uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, it had been declared illegal the planning consent, and now the Supreme Court have declared the uh, that ruling illegal, and uh, the planning is back on. But um, it remains to be seen, I think, whether Heathrow's third runway will ever be built. I think it really is, uh, you know, kind of running into headwinds that project, uh, not least from the virus, but also from the climate crisis and the fact that we just have to stop doing what we used to do. You know, we really have to change how we live. We had a fella on on the radio this week from the managing director of uh, nuclear power spokesperson, mm. um, and I couldn't resist dropping your name into the uh, <laughs> in, into Thank the you. mix. Um, well, it was a useful education. Having you know, we've done this for over a year now, and so I was able to say to him, "You don't need to do any of this." And he said, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, you know, we have enough wind power to make all of this stuff happen." And I cited, I, I said, "You know, you'll be familiar with Dale Vince," and he said, "I." I I have absolute utmost respect for Dale. He was oh, nice. very, he was very nice. And he, his argument, because we've talked about nuclear power before, um, of course, there's now plans afoot for another big station. And his point was that you need both. Yes, you need the windmills, but you also need a, a solid power base in case the wind drops. That was essentially his argument. Yeah, and I, I think I, I heard that a few days ago and it made me chuckle because it reminded me that when you talk about food, for example, another one of the three big areas of life that we have to change, quite often what you get back from farmers and a kind of animal eating lobby will be an acknowledgement. Yes, of course, we need to eat more plants, but we need a balanced diet, which is basically just a way of saying, look, but we have to carry on doing this. You know, we, we give a nod to what you're saying, but we need some of this, surely. Uh, truth is, when it comes to uh, eating meat or nuclear power, we don't need any of it. And uh, the idea of this solid base load is kind of old fashioned. The way the grid runs at the moment, it, it is built up of base load. And then there are generators that come in and out relatively quickly to meet the peaks of demand. But the smart grid, the one that's coming to replace that, doesn't need baseload like that at all because we're modifying demand as not just modifying generation to meet demand but modifying demand to meet generation uh, which is a very different concept so it's old-fashioned to say that we need baseload thing about nuclear is not a lot of people know 
that uh, it's inflexible. So renewable energy is driven by the weather and depends on it. Uh, gas uh, can be flexed up and down relatively quickly. Nuclear power can't flex. It has to run at a flat line, and which is a different problem, particularly for a modern smart grid. Uh, we need you and this. I can't remember the guy's name. He was a nice fella. We, we need you both on, I think, together. To, to chat this one over. Yeah, I'd be happy to have a chat about that, you know, because I think we need a constructive debate about it. And I understand that people in the industry are going to argue their corner. Um, but at the same time, we've got to do what's right for the country. And nuclear energy is super expensive. And obviously, the waste is toxic for thousands of years. And we don't have an answer for how to dispose of that. And that price is not factored into the cost of the energy that is already super expensive. Let's have a listen to everybody's favourite politician. I think it's a real scandal that UNICEF should be playing politics in this way, when it is meant to be looking after people in the poorest, the most deprived countries in the world, where people are starving, where there are famines and where there are civil wars, and they make cheap political points of this kind, giving, I think, £25,000 to one council. It is a political stunt of the lowest order. Uh, so this is the leader of the House of Commons, Jacob Rees-Mogg. Uh, he's accused UNICEF of playing politics after the charity launched a campaign to help feed kids in the UK. Tory MP said the charity was meant to look after people in the poorest country and they should be ashamed. He was quite forthright on that as well. Yeah, he was. This wasn't a slip of the tongue. This was a, 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 an absolute determined proclamation on his views on what UNICEF are doing. What do you make of that? Well, I thought two things. I thought it was the classic knee-jerk reaction of failing states all around the world when the UN has to intervene to save their own people. And that's what's happening here. Sure. And I thought at the same time, this man has no sense of irony. You know, he's referred to as the, the member for the 18th century for the way he dresses and thinks. If anybody's ever played politics, it's Jacob Rees-Mogg. To accuse UNICEF of that is you know, the ultimate irony, I think. And as uh, I think uh, some Labour politicians said in, in response, it's the, it's the UK government that should be ashamed. Uh, because we are one of the richest countries in the world and we have a problem uh, mm. with poor families and kids uh, getting enough to eat. You know, people are starving in this country. Something like four million people are in food poverty. That's a disgrace. It's yeah. us that should be ashamed, that UNICEF have to step in. It's just the, I mean, for me, the other thing I take from this, it's just how somebody can, despite, you know, whatever, you know, his background or what we think of him, you'd think that, you know, a lot of politicians are skilled operators. They... They know the mood. They can they can work out how something's going to play out. You know what the optics are going to look like, and to be so unself aware that here is a, a a very opulent aristocratic man proclaiming his opinions on a children's charity helping hungry kids in the UK. It's just not a good look. And he could have deferred that in a number of ways and said, I'll look at, you know, even if he thought that there was politics or something not quite as it seemed, to say it in those kind of terms, it just spectacularly misses any sense of what the average person might think of him and would think of him now. I get that. I think also it's worth thinking about what alternative does he have or does this government have? I mean, they have this problem challenging the existence, the, the massive rise of food banks, the use of them and the rise of food poverty. They have a problem with that. How do they respond to it? They can't own it. They can't say, yeah, that's us. Sorry, guys. We'll do something about it. 
I don't know what alternative people like Rees-Mogg have other than to just attack it, to claim that it's playing politics, that it's not real, uh, you know, that the people put themselves in that position themselves, you know, what, yeah. whatever it is. What alternative do they have but to attack it? Because they caused it and they won't solve it. Here's a couple of questions. Jerry says, uh, seasons greet... Oh, he's at... <laughs> <laughs> Seasons greetings to you both. Uh, Dale, have you drawn your diamond ticket draw yet? No, we haven't, Jerry. And, you know, I don't mind Seasons greetings. That's not too bad. There was there were no there were no jingles in there and no, no merry Xmases. Oh, I don't mind Xmas, actually. Uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of book dedications, writing Xmas when people are asking for Christmas. One thing is it saves me time. There's a lot of letters in Christmas. And the other thing is I'm kind of, you know, a little bit opposed to the idea of being Christmas because actually it's a pagan festival that's been repurposed by Christianity, you know, back in the day. So, they nicked uh, it. They nicked it, yeah. But, uh, you know, no harm. Because the 21st, of course, which is uh, ooh, soon... I think it's in, in, in a few more days, is the um, shortest day of the year. Um, and that's, you know, kind of midwinter. And the pagans had a festival around about then to celebrate that. And you can imagine that's a, like an important event. It's quite know, depressing, yeah. though, because it means it's starting to get light again, isn't it? Technically. That's well, a good thing. That's not depressing, surely. That's a good thing. No, we want darkness to start at about half two in the afternoon and go on to about eight in the morning, don't we? Do we? Yeah, that's a strange. I don't know. <laughs> didn't know. I know everyone says I should live in Norway or something, northern Norway. <laughs> yeah, maybe uh, you should. But, but the dark nights are, are pretty good, though, aren't they? I mean, not in the summer. In the summer, you know, I want sunshine till till ten at night. Till ten. In yeah. the in the winter, you know, oh. when it's crisp and chilly and dark, isn't that nice? Well, I, I like it all, but I like it when it changes from one to the other. I wouldn't want to be stuck with one. What was Jerry's question? We might have missed that. Oh, he said because we. I did hit. Oh, here it is. There it is. The book bugle. Slightly late from the technical team there. The yeah. book bugle. You need a Christmas version of the book bugle, really. But I, I, oh, no, hang on. I'm not going to ask for it. No, I don't want it. Don't do it. They've done it. Look, there it is. It's a book bugle <laughs> with bells. Uh, what he said was, have you drawn your diamond ticket draw yet? Oh, Can you just explain what that is for those who don't know um, yes. whether you've done it? Yeah, no, I thought it was an important question that we almost missed there. So we've got this competition, Willy Wonka style, going on. We've got uh, 10 diamond tickets hidden virtually amongst copies of Manifesto. And the closing date to buy a book and qualify for the draw is the end of December. And the draw itself takes place in early January. So no, Jerry, not done yet. Uh, there's still... Oh, I don't know, 10 days left or something like that. Perfect. Here's one from Sam. Love the podcast. Uh, how do I get my business idea in front of you and your team, says Sam? It's a good question. Oh, well, look, you can send me an email. Um, you could guess my email address, but I'll tell you anyway. It's dale.vince at ecotricity.co.uk. Ping us an email and uh, I'll stick it in front of the team. Do you get many of those? Yeah, quite a few. Yeah, we, we were thinking of running some kind of green dragon's den, you know, kind of filming it and making a little bit of, uh, you know, a bit of fun out of it, really, I suppose. But it happens all of the time. And we, you know, we spend some time every week looking at people's ideas and talking to people and, uh, you know, seeing how we can help with advice and stuff and what we might be able to get involved in. It's kind of like a green version of dragon's den without the focus on, you know, money above everything else, which I think is the, uh, the only gross part of that show. Uh, the <laughs> would you do it? Would you go on it? Uh, I would, yeah, I would. And, and I did a screen test for it once a few years ago, actually. Oh, I think you uh, mentioned that, yeah. yeah. And I would, because uh, I would I would go on there as myself, you know, and money would not be my focus. And I wouldn't be interested in anybody's idea that didn't have an environment outcome. Uh, and probably that's why they didn't choose me in the end. I don't know. Too radical. Uh, uh, this question, uh, final one, comes from Alex on Twitter. What happened to Extinction Rebellion? 
you know, somebody emailed me that very same <clears throat> question this week as well. It's not a bad question because they the, the profile seems to have disappeared unless they're cooking up plans ready to explode back onto the scene in 2021 yeah they probably are you know they i think they uh they wax and wane as like a lot of things do i don't think they've gone anywhere um but i i don't know i'm not privileged to, to any inside knowledge and i was saying the other day i was just talking about it yesterday actually you know it's it's a very interesting movement xr because nobody owns it it's, it doesn't belong to the people that founded it uh, we were talking about the founder and uh, a conversation i'd had with her around uh, climate change and how she thought we could carry on eating meat and how staggered I was by that. This is in the context of uh, the book and that. And, um, and I was saying, but you know, her, her views that they, they aren't, uh, they aren't in control of XR. XR is like an open source uh, protest movement. You know, it's been released out there and there's a, like a, there's an animal rebellion. There's a wildlife rebellion. There's a business rebellion. You know, people are making their own versions of XR and their own interpretations of what XR is and just getting on with it, which is a really interesting phenomena. Uh, do, do you think you've been involved in you know campaigning and, and the like for many many years? I mean, do, do you think they are game changing? Do you think this is the the organ as you say it's a kind of an umbrella organisation, different individuals, people from different backgrounds? Uh, you know, you have conservatives that are part of it, um, or, or manner of people. Is it game changing, or is it you know will it turn out in years to come and go? Oh, do you remember that phase when this yeah. group called Extinction Rebellion were there? No, I hear Reese Mogg is secretly a member, actually. <laughs> Love to see that. Yeah, I Will say, we see Jacob Rees Mogg gluing his testicles to a police car? <laughs> well, I love that. Uh, but look, I, I, I think they've already changed the game, uh, XR. You know, because they've uh, they've engaged a, a, a massive audience. They've made a lot of people aware about this. They've given them an outlet, a channel for this kind of concern that they have, and. In particular, what they've changed uh, is is with the tactic of mass disobedience. They don't protest. They get in the way of stuff. They hold up normal life. They disrupt. And they keep doing that. And they say openly, we're going to do that. And we, we are happy to be arrested, in fact, uh, because that clogs up the police stations as well. And again, just disrupts stuff. Um, and, and I think it's a, it's a brilliant, beautiful approach. It's totally nonviolent. Yeah. Uh, but it says protesting's not enough. Chanting slogans and walking down the streets not enough. Let's let's get in the way of normal life. Just to make a point, actually, that uh, you know normal life is killing us, and we have to change it. And that is it for this episode, uh, Dale. I was no. going to say happy, you know, that happy, word, you know what? Yeah, happy, yeah, happy hap- solstice. Let's go for that. Happy, you know, that's what I hippies, happy, I hippies happy say happy that solstice. to each other. Happy solstice. Mm. Happy solstice. And what I like about this is that where everybody else might be sitting on a sofa for the next week, uh, stuffing. You know, all manner of things into their festive mushes. Um, we're going to be back with another podcast in between Christmas and New Year. Oh yes, we are, aren't we? Yeah, I think on the th- I think thirty. I think it's a New Year's Eve release. Oh, that sounds that sounds like fun. Yeah, I'll be there. We look forward to it. Dale, we'll speak then. Cheers, Ian. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast absolutely free, of course, from your preferred podcast provider so that you can get each new episode automatically. Uh, Do leave a review there too. And if you want to get in touch, uh, you can email your comments and questions to zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. Really important bit, of course, do follow Dale on social media. That's twitter.com slash dalevince or facebook.com slash dalevince. And now on Instagram. Zero carbon east off.